hello, 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 and welcome into another episode of Popcorn for Breakfast with your co-host, Kirk. <laughs> what is that sound? It sounded like you just... <laughs> you were trying to mute. <laughs> oh, my... <laughs> For those of you who are not watching on YouTube, that that was an all time that was an all time Kirk moment. He was pretending well, to be a red panda, I believe. That is exactly right. And was struggling to mute while maintaining his panda panda pose, well, and then made an ear splitting shriek. Is just incredible. I thought you might unmute me because my, you saw my hands. Well, I was going perched. to, I was going to, but a couple of times that I've done that, you've remuted yourself. So it's like, I, I never know. We, we really need to be more coordinated, but. And then I, and then I hit the unmute button, <laughs> but it wouldn't unmute. And so I was just trapped right. in this muted limbo. Oh my goodness. <laughs> it was a nightmare scenario. But. I mean, let's just say that you caught me turning red, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Oh, that's bad. That's oh. bad. All right. So as Kirk has mentioned, we this is our movie review episode, in case you're wondering. And <laughs> we are reviewing the film Turning Red. It's a Pixar film, uh, Disney and Pixar film. Went straight to Disney+, Plus. did not go to theaters which was uh, the source of the subject of much controversy among Pixar employees. We won't get too much into that because we've already sort of covered it on the podcast. You can sort of go back and listen to those episodes. Um, but yeah, this movie released on Disney plus it released last Friday. And if you've been following along, you might be saying, why aren't they reviewing uh, the Adam project? Because we had discussed potentially reviewing that one. We put it on social media. We got literally a half and half vote on which movie we should review between the two. But the great news is that there's nothing good coming out next week. So we get to review both movies. We'll be reviewing Turning Red this week. And next week, you can swing back around and hear our review of The Atom Project. It'll re- release uh, next Thursday. So without further ado, Kirk, have you recovered from your your incident? <laughs> no, because now I was actively using my mute button so I could laugh it out a little bit. And yeah. I've just been giddy over here. Uh, and then you, <laughs> I, th- I thought you were going to unmute me to hear me cackle. <laughs> you know I would like never. when you're laughing alone sometimes and it's not like even, it should never be a public uh, laugh sometimes the way that we giggle in private. Yes, yes. That's what I thought you were about to expose me to, <laughs> to <laughs> never, the world. <laughs> never, I would never do such a thing. Also, I want to talk about that vote real quick. Yeah. Your wife, Jackie, decided to vote only to stir the pot. She said, I'm just voting turning red to keep things interesting because at the time she tied it back up. Yes. And uh, I thought that was a, was a baller move. I thought yeah, that was and then, hilarious. And then it just traded spots. I, I commented on her thing that some men just want to watch the world burn. <laughs> yes. yes <laughs> I love She it. definitely falls in that category. She often has no motive for what she's doing, just chaos and anarchy <laughs> is what she wants to see. So You know, it, in the in the Batman two, I think Jackie has a really good opportunity to play the Joker. I think yeah. it would be pretty good. Yeah, she I mean, she's it's a good fit. Uh, in terms of their their psyche, you know, they're they're at a similar place, um, so it, it would work. I don't. She doesn't have a lot of experience, but hey, you know, sometimes you just need the fit. Um, so yeah, 
that sort of that did stir the pot mission accomplished on her part and it yes. got lots more <laughs> votes rolling in and so we ended up at a point where we hate conflict so we just are going to review both we'll review this one this week and the other one the next week so it'll be perfect yes but kirk this week we're talking about disney and pixar's turning red and kirk you have the honors of kicking us off with a quick synopsis of this movie whenever you're ready yes here we go in my perfect movie voice turning 13 has never been more traumatizing May, a Toronto citizen and of Chinese descent, learns the dark secret her family has been hiding, that they are all part red panda. With only one night to tame the beast, May must choose between families or friends as a -a once-in-a-lifetime boy band concert experience is coming to town. Now streaming on Disney+, Plus, turning red. Nice, Kirk. That was very professional. Very professional. I liked it. Yeah, this this one's interesting. Um, it was directed by uh, Domi Shi, who is an Academy Award-winning director already. She won an Academy oh. Award for the short film Bao, uh, which was a which was a Pixar animated short that premiered before. Oh, what movie was it? Coco? No, that they did a Frozen thing was before it that. No, no, it wasn't Soul. It was before that. It might have been. It might have been Inside Out. Onward? It might have been that long ago. Oh my goodness. But anyway, uh, she won an Academy Award for that film and was then given the opportunity to to direct this film. And it's actually an all-female creative team behind this. So that's, is, that's pretty cool. And uh, yeah, Kirk summarized it greatly. So let's jump into it. Uh, if, you're, if you're new to the show, I always like to give the rundown. We do superlatives which is we do the best actor which is called in the oscar goes to we do scene stealer which is like the underrated performance showstopper which is the best production piece of the movie or the thing that really like stole the show and then we do director shoes which is our our critiques before wrapping it up with final thoughts and scores out of 10 kernels kirk why don't you get us started with and the oscar goes to and the oscar goes to The character May, played by Rosalie Chiang. Newcomer, kind of. She's been in some shorts. I don't know if they have any upcoming stuff, but man, really, really stellar um, debut performance, if you will. Um, She has a lot of ground to cover. She starts as just this girl who's following the rules. She likes to hang with her friends. She really has some like niche weird quirks like every preteen and and teen has uh and every adult let's be honest and she tur- she has to discover how to be that both of those people comfortably and tear away down the norms that are expected of her from society from family and just discover really discover who she is and i know that's crazy to say hey here's this disney pixar movie and she's going to do a deep dive into her psyche and her personality and needs and her id and her ego uh but actually it's right up disney and pixar's alley as we know and using all of that to to tell an actor to do that in a vocal performance let alone, I mean, your girl is probably like 16 or 17 years old. I, I haven't looked it up, but 
absolutely stellar performance stellar performance top to bottom i fully believed her in every aspect i completely agreed with the mesh of voice to character sometimes we get characters that are animated and we can either only see the actor themselves like if it's like a high profile actor that we've all know and love or we say that just doesn't fit uh i don't see um danny devito's voice coming well as arthur in <laughs> in the pbs show that doesn't make any sense <laughs> um or we get this perfect mend where the actor has studied what the character looks like in the lines in front of them and figured out who this person really is and i really felt like it was a really uh, fantastic study of that character and i believed it the whole time so bravo miss rosalie chunk yeah good call outs kirk and i have to agree in, in almost every single way my my selection as well was rosalie chung i thought she did a fantastic job i think this performance is really reminiscent to me of um caitlin diaz who played riley in inside out which is another disney and pixar film in the sense that the way that she was able to catch or capture the childlike sense of I don't know it's like it's it's like innocence but also slight confusion and apprehension and lack of confidence but also like excitement like all of those things meshed into one uh vocal tone and inflection she was really able to capture that for you know this 13 year old character which is similar to kind of like how riley is in inside out and 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 both of those performances i just thought were so good because they're so believable because of the way that the the voice matches the character so well but also what's great about this being sort of a coming coming of age story and rosalie chiang uh her performance is that this is a girl who's trying to find herself, you know, and so she's a different person with her friends than she is around other people and certainly a different person at school than she is around her parents. And uh, at times she's really excited about something. At times she's horribly embarrassed about something. The roller coaster of emotions that comes with being, you know, a pubescent preteen is, uh, is beautifully captured in this performance in, in all of its many varying ways. There was never a time where you felt like, oh, is she concerned? Because her face looks concerned, but she doesn't sound concerned. It was just a perfect match through and through. And I think that people, yeah, I say it every single time we do an animated movie, I think people sort of shrug off vocal performances thinking that it's not as difficult. And in, in some ways that may be true, but in other ways it's definitely not. In, in other ways, it's it's harder at times to do a good voice acting performance. And you can tell the people who really put thought and care into it and do a, do a great job and deliver a great performance versus just phoning it in. And Rosalie Chiang did a, a, a fantastic job and I, I thought she was great. So great job as Mei Lin Lee, our leading lady. A realistic comparison would be John Travolta in Bolt because that was just awful. <laughs> that was awful. <laughs> that was awful. There, I mean, there have been some really, truly bad, bad vocal castings over the course of you know, animated film history, just some really bad matches. Uh, but that, that one you just mentioned might be one of the worst, to be honest, just yes. really awful. So, um, that glad that was not the case here, but Kirk, this, this movie had a cast of characters that was hilarious, uh, and flamboyant and colorful, just like 
all had such a, a very zany personality about each, each individual character. So I'm interested to know who you went with as your scene stealer. My scene stealer went to Miss Sandra O oh of Grey's Anatomy fame. Um, she's also in a fantastic film. She plays a supporting role in, I don't know if, if this movie is for everyone, but it's called Hard Candy. Uh, definitely not a children's movie. <laughs> Neither is Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> yeah. So I think that what drew me to her as the as the mom, as Ming, Sandra O oh, was able to also do a very similar thing. They they wrote these characters as uh, so similar. The daughter the daughter mother conflict of man as a mother. But when I was a kid, I was I was wild. I was untamed. I was uh, you. I was rebellious, and it. I finally you know settled down, and here I am today, and I have to maintain that uh, that idea that. Uh, that that look for you, that that modeling behavior for you, for my daughter, for May, and then she just lets it all go. She just can't hold it in anymore, and it's pretty it's pretty fantastic to see the comparison there. Um, I I think that what Sandra O oh did was first of all an unrecognizable um, vocal performance. I did not hear her specifically in it at all. And I thought that there were just so many moments of of the of the traditional uptight mom, but also throughout there, you got these glimpses of how much she cares about her daughter, uh, the the fear of how much she cares for her to lose her to something else that she doesn't think is right for her, or that she was taught uh, or mistaught, I should rather say. Uh, into thinking that was the proper quote unquote path to take. So really just a stellar performance, Sandra. Oh, I don't think we get enough of her. Um, I've not watched uh, killing Eve just yet. It's on my watch list and I'm really looking forward to dig into that, to see more of her performances. Miss Sandra. Oh, I love it. And uh, yeah, to your point, criminally underrated. And in fact, I think it, <laughs> I think it might be considered like a scathing indictment on this movie. If you don't choose Sandra O, oh, because the pivotal relationship in this movie is between Maylin Lee and her, her mother uh, Ming. And it's such a, it's such a rich relationship that they carve out. And part of that is due to the vocal performances to your point, Kirk, uh, a truly transformative vocal performance for Miss Sandra O, oh, who totally um, camouflages herself in this new character and and leaves herself unrecognizable, which is always something you kind of want a lot of times in vocal performances because it's you know you don't have that problem of of seeing an actor not being able to get the actor out of your head. Instead, you've got a new character, but sometimes if you hear the voice, you're like, "What? This you know it just doesn't." It doesn't work out because you're just seeing that person. But in this case, Sandra Oh gave a really nuanced vocal performance, one that was, I mean, just has to be birthed out of, of real-life experience from, you know, her familial relationships. And I think, uh, you know, a really tough performance, too, because <laughs> recently with Pixar, uh, generational emotional trauma has sort of been the flavor of the day. And there are, uh, you know, that's, that's a tough tough onion to peel. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that goes into that and, I, and there's a lot of nuance and, and, and micro inflections that you have to put in your voice to convey that you're saying one thing, but the reason that you're saying it is something different. It's, it's coming from a different place. And that's something that I thought Sandra O oh was able to do so effortlessly in this performance and make it so that this character really was all its own. You know, it wasn't wholly Sandra Oh, or, 
you know, totally this animated character. It was just its own thing. It's a, a transcendent character and one that was really rich and really lovable. Um, maybe that's just me as a parent being like, I see you, I feel you. I don't know how she comes across to people who are non-parents, but um, I, I thought it was, it was a really rich character. Good, you know, obviously good writing helped along the way in terms of driving the plot forward, but she gave a really good, great performance and, I really enjoyed it. I really think Sandra Oh is underrated to your point, Kirk. I think she's, I think she's really awesome. Everything I've ever seen her in, and I'm, I'm not a Grey's Anatomy person, but everything I've seen her in, she's been fantastic. So uh, glad to see her get another chance to shine here. Indeed. All right. Let's move on to the production side. Uh, Pixar animated films. I mean, they're, they're best in class really when it comes to animated children's films and the like, uh, you know, they've won, countless Academy Awards. They get nominated every year. Uh, you know, everything that's happening at Disney Animation Studios is happening because of what has happened at Pixar. They are, um, you know, the pinnacle of it all. So let's talk about this movie from a production sta- standpoint and see what our thoughts are. Kirk, what was your showstopper? My showstopper quite easily was the music in this film. I don't know if you can classify this as a musical because the main characters don't sing, but... Man, the boy band titled Four Town, uh, they have some excellent, excellent songs. Um, what's fantastic about the, the structure of this band is that I grew up very heavily in this era. It takes place, I believe, in 2002 is right when the ritual happens for in order to tame uh, the red panda and banish it forever so that May can live a normal "Quote unquote life." Uh, the of course in the in the nineties and early two thousands there was a band called O Town. I saw them. Uh, I think they opened up for uh, Britney Spears uh, at the time that I saw them uh, back in two thousand. Also, probably two thousand two, two thousand one. I, I can't quite remember. And the the music is just so good. It just takes over. You can't have this love of this pure love of adolescent, pubescent, preteen, just like want uh, of just like to have something that's your own uh such music is so prominent when, when you're that age than this music and i mean you have two of the five members of four town remember they're called four town two of the five members are played by jordan fisher uh broadway star uh and phineas o'connor billy eilish's brother and uh, also producer music partner they they absolutely just destroy it it's so good it's such good music it's such good vocals Nothing else matters. If everything else failed in this movie, that it wouldn't matter because the, the boy band music and their aesthetic, their look is just so good. I loved it. It got me. Bravo for town. I hope there's a separate album of just their stuff. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I mean, the, the, the boy band or like, you know, boy band, girl band thing that, that was very much in play in the two thousands is, is, definitely alive and well these days with k-pop i mean it's it's a similar movement um so it was cool to see them kind of single in on that era when they could have easily made this a movie that's set in the present day and, and focused on those bands but it was nice to take a stroll down memory lane and it was set, it was to your point just such a a nice and and <laughs> you know su- such an accurate homage to that era and what it represented to people so that was a lot of fun um my showstopper is the is the art direction for this movie. I mean, I think there was a period of time where I was really sort of worried about Pixar in terms of creative direction, and that was the time when they were spinning out 
a lot of sequels to older movies and they were kind of, um, you know, sort of stalling out in a way. I think, you know, the good dinosaur, uh, the Incredibles two, which was really good, but was built on something they had already come out with monsters university, same thing built on something they already had. And it felt like, you know, what, what's next for this studio. And what I can definitively say now after this and Luca soul and onward and all the great movies that have come out over the last year is that even if the even if the subject matter or the plot or the characters are not um, as iconic perhaps as their predecessors in Toy Story and Monsters Inc and um, Finding Nemo etc the art direction right now is is simply top of the line and, and I love everything that they're doing I love that they're taking chances they're not just falling back to the old Pixar formula of designing characters. They're really doing different things. And and this movie is a testament to that more so than anything. I really thought that um, this, w- this movie was artistically diverse in terms of it mixed a lot of different things. They took full advantage of the animation medium, which you absolutely should do because it affords you so much creative depth and, and variety that you can dig into. And so they did these like, you know, anime style uh, fight sequences <laughs> against the giant red panda kaiju, which I thought was just awesome and hilarious and amazing. Um, they had these like, you know, they use like the very like twinkly type of eyes that they use in anime whenever somebody is like longing for something. And they took a lot of creative uh, textures and tones and things like that from Eastern media. And then at the same time, even though this is set in the city, um, and, 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 you know, there really aren't that many different environments. There's the school, there's the temple, there's walking around town. They managed to vary the color palette and texture so much, uh, to make it just a really rich visual experience. And I was just so impressed throughout that. Uh, and, and I'm, that's not even talking about the cinematography, which for an animated movie was really top of the line here um i was really impressed with the art direction and and the way that they went with it because i thought it was bold i thought it was vibrant and and zany and very well meshed with the themes of the movie and i thought it was really really well done and and frankly better than most of the things that i've seen come out of pixar in the last few years so that was really cool to see and i absolutely loved the art in this movie overall all right it was beautiful Let's move into director's shoes and talk about um, our our critiques for this movie and first-time feature film director Domi Shi. Yes. This is where I don't feel like I am am or will ever be qualified enough to truly rate this film um, because of the content uh, of it. So the things that I want to talk about in my director's shoes are marketing and medium because this movie is slated to be for kids. It's a Pixar movie. There's a big fluffy red panda that's doing silly things. That's jumping on buildings and scared and trying to like pet its face with brushes and try to just calm itself down and poof in and out, in and out of, of child versus panda. So I think that the marketing was so far off of who this movie is actually for. It's kind of like, 
you know, like when Monster House came out, which was a Steven Spielberg produced flick of it was truly a horrifying animated movie for young children who they thought it was for them. And then all of a sudden you have six year olds like crying in the theater (laughs) because they weren't quite ready for it. The subject matter in Turning Red, uh, remember we're giving out spoilers, talks about uh, or assumes to talk about uh, May becoming a woman. And we have lots of talk about uh, uh, puberty with her, specifically her getting her period that her mother thinks that she's getting when in fact the curse of the red panda is actually upon us and she's transforming in that way. So there's wonderful, um, exciting, um, heartfelt uh, discussions of, of of transformation and what that means as as a girl as and as a woman and how we how how we how women are are forced to meet a certain mold or act a certain way the whole theme all of the themes are spot on and wonderful but you bring a four year old to this movie and I don't think they get it you bring a four year old to this movie. And uh, or a five year old or a seven year old boy, even. And I think that it's not marketed for them. And that is okay. So, my problem with the movie is the marketing from the marketing team, not the movie itself. So, it was a little disjointed when I went to watch it by myself. And I was like, whoa, this is fascinating. This is good. But it's not for little, little kids. So, then you have to figure out what the medium problem is that you have a big, fluffy red panda, you have bright, vibrant colors, you have Disney Pixar slammed on the label, right? So, is the medium best served as a fully animated feature? Could they have done this live action with, with an animated red panda? I think they could have. I think there's enough technology where it would have uh, stood the test of time, and you would have gotten a feel for, oh, this is this is for my tr- this is for my 11 year old child, my 12 year old child, up to like even 16. You know, it's not for those little kids uh, wanting to see a fluffy red panda. So I think my director's shoes really comes out from that that I had not a problem with, but I think it's of concern to kids wanting to take their kid parents wanting to take their kids to this movie and really have an entertaining time. All that said, again, fascinating, extraordinary storytelling, uh, well, well completed themes and connections and relationships. I just don't know about that for me. Yeah, it's a fair point, Kirk. And I, and, and frankly, like uh, a lot of what I saw out in the ether, whenever this movie came out, was from parents of young children who were upset that they went to turn on this movie for family movie night and that, you know, it wasn't what it turned out, what what they thought it would be, um, which, you know, is not the filmmaker's fault. It's not the film's right. fault. In fact, like, to, to all the points that you're making, you're spot on, Kirk. Like, the theming you know, is important stuff. Let's demystify stuff that let's, let's demystify and destigmatize things that happen to everybody. These are good conversations and important ones. And really, even when you look at the rating of the movie, it's a PG Pixar movie, which means parental guidance suggested, which to me as a parent of my children means that I should pre-screen the movie before showing it to my kids, which it sounds like you did as well. Kirk, um, some people see the Disney and Pixar to your point and they go, this is a family movie for kids of all ages, and I will turn it on. Um, which, you know, a lot, frankly, my kids are one and three. I could show this movie to my kids, and they would all go way over their head. But yep. yeah, if I had a seven and eight-year-old, 
you know, I would want to talk to them about it beforehand, or maybe I would just wait until they were a little bit older, just because some of that subject matter just isn't going to resonate, or it might confuse them, or what have you, any number of things. Um, It doesn't mean that it's an inappropriate movie. It doesn't mean that it's improperly rated, to your point. It's, It's adequately rated. But yeah, the marketing, you know, they're trying to sell a movie and they're the best way to get eyeballs on it is to say, this is Disney and Pixar and look at the pretty panda and you should watch it with your kids. And it's so hard because they're not, I mean, they're kind of wrong for doing that, but you can't blame them. And the filmmakers certainly aren't wrong for, I mean, they made a movie that's appropriate for a certain age group. It just happens to have some subject matter that's a little over other people's heads. So it is, it is very tricky and I worry about it tarnishing the film um, right. reception because it shouldn't, it really shouldn't. It's not, it's not fair to the film and it's not fair to the creators of the film because they've, they've done what I think is, I think they've made a good movie and I think that they've done a, you know, an important, it's an important movie for a certain group of people who need to hear um, these things. And, and, and it's, it goes far beyond like, you know, menstruation and, and things like of that nature. It's, right. it's way more about femininity and, and mother daughter relationships and generational trauma and all of these very bigger things. Um, it just happens to have that in there as well because it's a coming of age story. So it's right. and that uh, part is re- in, in the scale of the whole movie. It's rather short. It's probably mm-hmm. 15 minutes, you know, of from start to finish, you know, conversation. Yeah. But then it's probably like, three and a half minutes of actual conversation in the film. Um, yeah. Which is fine. I just, yeah, yeah, like absolutely. you said, like you said, it could be confusing to, to a child who, ha- who isn't at that maturity to understand that that happens to, to women yet. Yeah. And that's fine. That's perfectly fine. So man, I struggle, I struggle with the marketing on this, it's but if just, I could yeah, strip tough. the marketing away and just like walk into this movie without ever seeing anything about that and just blow it out the window that, 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 that this is a kid's movie to just watch it. Be like, Hey, that's a, that's a well structured, well paced, well executed film. 1000%. I agree. I agree. Um, my director shoes is related to those themes and it's not the theme specifically that we were just talking about, but all of the themes in this movie and my director shoes is basically that, I think it's a little over ambitious on the themes. I think there are too many cooks in the kitchen kitchen as it relates to themes. I just rattle off a bunch of them. I mean, there's, there's coming of age, there's uh, familial mother daughter relationships. There's what it means to be a woman in modern society and what's expected of you. There's this, uh, you know, generational trauma and, and parenting your kids while also, you know, trying to correct the wrongs of your parents, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, there are so many things and, and all of those themes are important and rich in their own right. And and to a large extent are, are done pretty well, but some of them are not fully fleshed out and not fully complete thoughts or statements with a period on the end of them. And at the end, when you get to resolution on the plot, you're, you're not exactly sure what theme has come full circle out of all of those? You know, all of them have, you've learned something or you've been taught something throughout all of them. And they're all, you know, very important, like I said, but it's, it's hard to pinpoint. Okay. So what was, what was the underlying point and what were the sub themes? It really just kind of gets a little bit um, messy, particularly at the end when, 
all of the women. So, uh, Maylin Lee, her mom, all the aunts, the grandma, which is a great moment. They're all in the, you know, the astral realm where they're trying to separate their pandas from their body. Um, and you don't necessarily know how that scene's going to play out. And when it does play out the way that it does, you go, okay, so why did that happen? Because according to this theme, I would have expected this, but according to this theme, I would have expected this. And all of those themes are there and are intentional, but I don't feel like all of them are fully fleshed out. I think the thing that has made, and it's perhaps not fair to compare to past Pixar movies, but I think the thing that makes Pixar or what has made Pixar's most iconic films truly generational, I you know, iconic uh, milestone type movies is their singular purpose. I think about Finding Nemo. There is one theme, and it's about you know not passing trauma onto your kids and what it means to be a parent to a child and that love. That's it. You know, Toy Story is all about capturing childhood and what's important to children. Like, there's always just one underlying theme underneath it and and that's what this movie I think lacked Um, and I think it would have really benefited from that because in almost every other measurable way it's a really technically sound film with lots of good aspects to point to and praise Uh, but the themes just get a little little bit ambitious and and in my opinion a little bit messy but it was so close it was so close close. it was so close yeah, you're absolutely right. It gets a little, it gets a little crowded. It gets a little crowded in there. And uh, to boil down the themes, uh, kind of like an in Inception, you know, we have to boil down everything to a single positive reinforcing sentence yes. to get our point across. And this one, too many, too many. Unfortunately, they were all just running parallel to each other. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. All right, final thoughts and scores. Kirk, let's hear it. Yeah, I think the faux pas here was also in the third act where you think you're about to get the resolution of the film automatically. um, The mother, Ming, uh, goes through her explosive transformation back into her red panda and, you know, grows 18,000 feet high and storms the city, you know, looking for her daughter. Um, That sequence is great and it lasts a long time. We see her her back in the astral plane, uh, which is a really creepy place. Let's just be (laughs) Yes, dude. It's scary. (laughs) The OG ancestor who, like, incited all of the red panda stuff. Like, it's a cool, it's really a cool and wonderful storyline, but she is horrifying. Um, I'm not buying it, even when she seems super nice and kind when she finally speaks to me at the end. She's just, that animation horrified me. Uh, All those things were cool. All of them were cool. When you see the mother as a young girl and May is talking to her at the same age. Very cool concepts. But... We didn't need that in addition to everything else that was going on. So all of that said, I still think this is a a prominent staple in uh, Pixar's catalog. Uh, I don't think it's at the top of their list. Definitely not at the bottom of their list, but I would say within their, within their top 15 is a good, is a good range for this particular film. I'm giving this movie a 7.6 out of 10 kernels today. Yeah, we're uh, we're gonna be close. <laughs> we're gonna be close, Kirk. I mean, I my thoughts are very similar. Um, which which I'm, you know, it's it's good, and I'm I'm not like I'm not necessarily surprised by it, but 
it, we're, we're going to be pretty close. <laughs> so uh, for me, yeah, I mean, I, there's so much to love about this movie and I mean so much. I, I just, I, I love the creative direction. I love the art. I love the characters. Oh my gosh. that We didn't even talk about the little, the pack of, of girlfriends, the, the four of them. What, I mean, just so yes. electric and fun. And, and this movie is hilarious. I mean, truly very funny. That could have easily been my showstopper is the humor. Um, there are some really good laugh out loud moments. And I think that for, for a good portion of the movie, you're totally able to just kind of sit back, relax and enjoy the ride. There's so much to love. There's good theming, you know, cool characters, you know, representation of, of a, of a story that you might not have normally heard. That's really cool. Um, so it's just, it's, it's very much its own thing and, and there's so much to really enjoy about it. And, you know, we have just sort of an Icarus situation going on here. Flew a little close to the sun, got a little over ambitious and that happens, especially we see it, um, I just watched rewatch the movie, the harder they fall, which is not at all comparable to this movie, but it's, it's similar in the sense that, uh, you know, a more beginner, not beginner level, but you know, like a, a more junior filmmaker behind the camera there. And that movie at times is a little bit over ambitious in what it tries to accomplish. And, and it doesn't boil down to one singular thing at times. Um, and this movie sort of falls into that same pitfall. So it's not, the worst mistake you can make by any means. I think it's still like lots of good things just going on. Just nothing that fully comes full circle to make it tight and concise and succinct. Um, but that's, you know, that happens. And so for me, I agree with Kirk. I don't think this is top tier, top tier Pixar, but if there are three tiers, A, B, C, this is B tier. Um, and there are a lot of good movies in that B tier because Pixar makes a lot of good movies. There are decent movies in the C tier too, if we're being honest. Um, so that's not a knock against it at all. Uh, I think I put Luca at seven, eight or seven, nine. So I'm giving this an eight Oh, 8.0. Um, because there are so many things that I will, I will forgive some other stuff just because I loved the, the art and the creativity and the humor and the writing and the, and, and so much about it. So yeah, I, I, I thought it was great. I, I really think it's, it's a good movie. One you should check out one. You should watch before you watch it with your kids, obviously as the PG rating suggests, but, um, worth a watch. And, you know, I feel for our friends at Pixar who were bummed that this movie didn't get a theatrical release. I think it deserved it. Um, and they, they, you know, they're, I, I really get the sense, Kirk, that they're sort of recalibrating right now, Pixar, and, and because they've had some stuff recently that's just like, oh my gosh, good, like Soul, incredible. But Luca, yes. Luca was, you know, I think below this one in terms of how good it was, and Onward I thought was spectacular, yes. so I, I feel like there's lots of great things to still come out of that Uh that studio they've they've traditionally done great things so i'm excited to see what the future holds and i don't think this will be the last pixar film directed by domi she i think i think she's earned her stripes here for sure she did well done well done awesome well thank you guys so much for listening if you saw turning red uh let us know your thoughts i mean i know that like i said saw a lot of controversy i think 
it's a sticky situation with the marketing. It's, it's, it's easy to see how we got here and you don't really know who to blame. It's just kind of one of those situations where there's no real good answer. Um, but hopefully you were able to see it and enjoy it, but let us know your thoughts on it. We'll be doing another review next week. That review will be of the movie, the Adam project. This time we know for sure we'll be reviewing the Adam project, which is available to stream on Netflix, uh, directed by Sean Levi, starring Ryan Reynolds, Mark Ruffalo, Zoe Saldana, Jennifer Garner, and others. So we will uh, talk to you guys when we review that film and catch us for What's Poppin' early next week. But until that time, I want to give a special thanks to our executive producer, Ryan Spriggs, and the band that created our original music, Rhetoric. You're hearing those guys now. Check them out anywhere you stream music, and we will see you next week. Talk to you then. Bye.